Okay, we're starting by the two dots on the top of Kuflam Hatera Aleph. Tanya, Rabbi Yossi ben Elisha Omer, Imra ita Dorshitz, I wrote to a boat, Ba'ot Olav. See a generation in which difficulties are coming. Seuv Dok, B'dayanei Yisrael. Go look into the judges. Shekol Pernanut, Shebali Olam, Lo Ba'a, Elu B'shvil, Dayanei Yisrael. The reason that these difficulties, these Sarot are coming upon Klali Israel because of the judges, the leadership. Shnemar. Shimunazot Roshe Beit Yaakov. Uktsinei Beit Israel. Metaavim Mishpat. Bet Kolha Yishara Yeakeshu. Bonet Zion Bidamim. Biyushalayim Beavla. Rosheha Bishochad Yishpotu. Bechoaneha Bemechir Yoru. Univieha Bekesef Iksomu. Valashem Yishainu. So here's a description of what's happened to Klali Israel, what's happened to Yerushalayim, instead of being the ear had tzedek, instead of being the place of justice, it's become a place of corruption, a place where bribery, scandals are considered to be the norm. And that's what it says here. Listen, the heads of Beit Yaakov, the officers of Beit Yisrael, that perpetrate injustice and all righteousness or straightness, Ye'akeshu, they were caused to go off, to veer, like Dori Kesh Uptalto, Bonet Zion Bidamim, they build Zion in blood, Yishlaim Ba'avla, and Yishlaim with injustice, Rosha Bishocha Dishpoto, its heads, through bribery, will judge, Koana, its priest, Bimichir Yoru, through a price, will give direction, teach. And the Nevi'im are prophesying with money, being paid to prophesy. But they all declare that they're doing this B'Shem Hashem. So they do all of this injustice, this corruption, but they say that it's all in the name of Hashem. They're doing it as representatives of Hashem. They are evil. But they place their trust or... They claim that they are representatives of God. They believe that they are secure, that Hashem will not punish them because they're not doing anything wrong. The Pasuk here is in Micha. We're going to bring the Pasuk in Yishayel also, which speaks similarly to that, one that we read on Shabbat Chazon. But here the Pasuk is saying why the people think that nothing's going to happen. They think that Hashem is going to protect them. They're doing the right thing. They think that they're serving Hashem and that they're doing all that's right and therefore Hashem is going to protect them. Nothing's going to go wrong. That's what Allah Hashem Yishayinu, is that they say we're doing the right thing. We're all fine. Everything's fine. They were horrible, evil people, but they trusted that Hashem will take care of everything. God brings upon them three punishments. For the three sins that were mentioned in the Pasuk. So the three leadership positions, which is the judge... The Kohen and the Navi are all taking money to do whatever they're supposed to do. So those problems are met with three punishments. Shinemar, Bachen, Birgulchem, Tzion, Sadeh, Techaresh, Biyushalayim, Iyin, Tiyeh, Vaharabait, Libamotiyar. So therefore, Tzion will be plowed over. Yushalayim will become desolate, a pile of rubble. And Harabayit will become a forest. And Hashem's Shekhinah presence will not return to Israel. Until these horrible justices and sheriffs leave Israel. Shinamar. Now we're quoting from Yeshaya Walif, which is the Haftorah for Shabbat Chazon. Vashiva Vashiva 
Motzayev Kivat Echida. This is the source for the bracha that we say in Shmon Esrei, of Ashiva Shokteinu Kivarishona, Veyotzeinu Kivat Echida. We say it in the plural. We reformulate it in the plural. Here it's written in the singular. Hashem states at the end of that Avtorah, at the end of that parak. I will return my hand upon you, Vitzrof, and I will purify, I will smelt, Kavor, Sigayich, the impurities, the dross, Vasira, Kobidilayach, and I will remove all the base. Then, Vashiva, Shoftayach, Varishanavi, Yatsach, Vitzkalad. Then I will bring back the Shoftim and the proper Yuatzim. So, Amarula, Ain Yishalayim Nifte, Elabit Staka. Shalayim will only be redeemed through Staka. You can call what we call today Staka, but I think more in the sense of Tzedek, of righteousness. Shnemar Tzion, Bimishpat Tipodeh, Vishaveha, Bit Staka. That Tzion will be redeemed through judgment, justice, and Shaveha, Bit Staka. And those that return will be brought in righteousness. Oh, whether we say B'nai Barachamav. The Gra eliminates the Gersa Barachamav. Because of this Pasuk here, where it said, Siyam b'mishpati badeh, and not b'rachamim. Amar Rapapa, Ibatli Yihiri, Batli Amgushi. If you get rid of the Yihirim, Yihirim is from Yehora, which means those that are haughty, then you'll get rid of the Amgoshi. Amgoshi gets translated different ways. We had it earlier actually in the Mesechta. And over there, the Gemara asked, what is an Amgoshi? We had two opinions there. One was that it's a sorcerer. One was that it was someone who was a min, a duk Others say it's the priests of the Persian fire god. Over here, it seems to be that they are, as Rashi says, misitin medichin hamasnin otanu. They are people who are vocally against us. They cause us problems with the kingdom. They cause us problems with the authorities. These are people that cause a lot of difficulty for the Jewish community. So in Batli Yuhiri, Yehiri Rashi says are interesting are Israel mityaharim beblorit but mabushe yehirut keprashim halalu. So they are haughty people who go around with the haircut, this blorit, which was a haircut of the aristocracy. So they want to be midame. They want to be similar to the non-Jews. And so they get a haircut like them. Blurit was generally devoted to Ebola Zarat. And they wear clothing. Prashim alalu. Like these cavalry men. But here I think it means the aristocracy. They want to basically become part of society. Drop their Jewish character. And they cause the problem of Mgushi. If we get rid of them, then the Mgushi will also go away. Those people, as he called them anti-Semitic, those people that try to causing problems for the Jewish community will also go away. Ibatle dayone, blatle gzifte. If you get rid of the judges, obviously we're not talking about regular judges, we're talking about problematic judges, those that are immoral, unjust Jewish judges, then you'll get rid of the gzifte. You look on the side brought from the Oruch, that the Oruch says that these were sarisei vishotrei asarim. These were the eunuchs, the thugs of the rulers, enforcers, of whatever the government wants, the henchmen of the authorities. Because they're based on the Pasuk that we just read from Yeshayahu. That I will purify you, I will smelt you and get rid of the dross, I will get rid of the impurities. Rashi says, the word Sigach is Gasea Ruach. So it's a play on the word Yisgeh. Yisgeh means very high up. So Sigayich, instead of being, or meaning, impurities or dross, means those that are haughty. 
So I clear out those that are haughty. If I get rid of those improper judges, I'll get rid of the gezirfte. That if I get rid of mishpatayich, I get rid of those that are perverting the justice. Then your enemies will turn their face away. Getting rid of the injustice will also get rid of the enemies. What is meant by the Pasuk? Shavar Hashem Mate Rishaim Shevet Moshlim. Hashem broke the staff of the Rishaim, Shevet, the scepter of the rulers. Shavar Hashem Mate Rishaim, Elu Adayanim, Shena'asu Makel Lechaznehem. These are the judges that become an extension or a vehicle for Chaznehem, for those that serve them. So Rashi describes over here that the Shotrim and the sheriffs would demand money in order to either enforce the rules, or to bring the litigants to the case, to the court. So generally the sheriff, that's his job, he should bring them in. But they were demanding extra payment in order to do what they were supposed to do. It's not clear here is whether the judges were paying them in order to do this, and that's what the problem is, or the judges were complicit, and they were taking this money from the people, and the judges didn't stop it. They were complicit in allowing their sheriffs, in order to enforce the din, or to bring the litigants to the court, that they were allowing them to take extra money, which obviously is a perversion of the justice system. Shevet Mushlim is Elu Tamidei Chachamim Shebe Mishpachot Adayanim. These are Tamidei Chachamim that have in their family judges. The judges got their appointment because of the Tamidei Chachamim. They, through protexia, through nepotism, they able to bring family members in to be judges, and then they cover up for them that these judges are not proper judges. They don't have the qualifications to be judges. There are only qualifications after the relative of the Tamar Chacham. Then afterwards, they prefer justice, and these Tamar Chacham are covering up for them, allowing them to stay in their position. It says there, Shavar Hashem, Hashem will break these types of rulership, or these types of leaders, which are improper leaders. These are Tamirei Chachamim who give prep courses to judges, judges who are burim, ignoramuses. So these judges who are not capable are unable to be judges, but they give them these prep courses and they advise them. And basically they say, listen, you be the judge. Anytime you have a problem, you come to me and I'll help you out. What ends up happening is that the judge, once he gets into the position of being a judge, he doesn't always consult with the Tamirei Chacham. He starts to adjudicate even without the advice of the Tamirei Chacham and then you get the perversion of justice. What is meant? Here your hands have become bloodstained. Your fingers through the sin. Your lips have spoken untruths. And your tongues articulate perversion injustice. These are the judges. Obviously, we're talking about perversion of justice. So these are judges who adjudicate improperly. Meaning that they're full of blood. Because when you cause perversion of justice, you take money from those that are not supposed to. And they lose out. Those people, it's like as if you're taking their life. In many times, when people lose in these cases and lose their livelihood, they lose their savings. So you put them in a position where you've really taken their life. Your fingers through sin, that's talking about the scribes. 
The people who are the stenographers, those people who are writing the documents, who document everything. Siftotechem dibru sheker. It's one of the few places in Shas that lawyers get any mention. Here it says, Siftotechem dibru sheker. Your lips have uttered untruths. Elu These are the lawyers. These are those that teach the balei dinim. They teach the litigants what to say. And they cause problems because they tell them what to claim. They tell them what not to say. And therefore the truth is covered up by them advising their clients not to speak the absolute truth. Correct. That's another place. These are the litigants themselves. Again, they're talking about perversion of justice, but especially through the payment of money through bribery, which is the most common way to pervert justice is to pay off the individuals involved, and that's what's being described here. Which is interesting here because the Gemara Dendiv Gitin explains or tells a story about a Miriam Magdala, which is supposedly associated with Mary Magdalene. Gemara in Moed Katan seems to say that Magdala is a braider, a braider of hair. Other places, Magdala is the name of a location or a place. It's interesting here that we have a Yitzchak Magdala. Yom Shpiresh Yosef Me'achav Lo Ta'am Tam Yayin. The day that Yosef left his brothers, he never tasted wine. Dichtiv. Uli Kadkod Nazir Echav. He was like a Nazir. What does it mean a Nazir? A Nazir abstains from wine. Why was he abstaining from wine? From the day that he left his brothers, he was, quote-unquote, Be'avelut of sorts. Therefore, he didn't drink wine. Yosef Rabbi Chanin Amar Afhein Lo Ta'amu Yitam Yayin. They themselves, the brothers of themselves also did not drink wine. Yosef served them when they came to his table. He served them wine. They drank and they became intoxicated. Inference from that is that this was the first time that happened. It didn't happen until that point in time. Vidach, the other opinion says it was only Yosef and not the brothers. They didn't get intoxicated. They did drink wine. They just never got intoxicated. They only became intoxicated once they drank together with Yosef. All of these memorials that are brought, they're not necessarily connected, but they're all brought by the same individual, Rabbi Malai. Therefore, they are grouped together here. So Rabbi Malai, so this week's parsha, Aaron Cohen is zochet to be the Cohen Gadol to have the Choshen Mishpat Alibo because when Moshe returns to Mitzrayim, Aaron goes out to greet him, and Hashem says that when Aaron greets you, he's going to be happy for you, despite that Moshe was his younger brother. And here Rashi points out that despite the fact that Aaron had got a nevuah first, he was a navi before Moshe. Despite that fact, he was not jealous of the fact that Moshe was chosen to be the leader of Galal Israel. And not only is he not upset about it, he's actually happy, happy for his brother. And because of that, because of that nature that he had, he was granted the Choshen Mishpat Alibo. The Choshen Mishpat which sits on the heart. On a basic level, it's very nice. You have the Samach Bilibo, that he'll be happy. Then you have a Choshen Mishpat that sits Alibo, Libo, Libo. So therefore, you get the Choshen Mishpat for being happy. But my brother-in-law told me over what he thinks the meaning is. It's a very nice idea, maybe a deeper meaning. The Eben Ezra on the Aserta Dibrot talks about what the problem of the Mitzvah of Lotach Mod is. And over there he describes that a person has to understand. Jealousy stems from a person's lack of understanding about how Hashem works his world. That Lotach Mod stems from the fact that you think something should belong to you. Something that belongs to someone else should belong to you. Or that you're entitled to what someone else has. But if a person really understands that Hashem is the one who allocates and gives each person their due and what they are expected to have, 
then a person will not be jealous because he knows what that person has. Hashem granted him and he does not intend for you. What he gave to you, he gave you the means and resources for what your needs are. And jealousy stems from that lack of understanding or that lack of acknowledgement that God is the one who determines and God is the one who divides up and gives to each person what they have and therefore trying to take or being jealous of what someone else has it's meaningless because that's not what Hashem intended for you you should know that the Ebenezer if certain people can say things they say oh they had a good life Ebenezer had a very difficult life and difficulty in making a living and in one place he describes that he had difficulty with making parnosa he says that if he became head of a morgue or a maker of tachrichim shrouds for the dead he said people would stop dying that's how much difficulty he had in making a parnosa it's coming from someone who didn't necessarily have everything and he says that lotach mode stems from that problem so that acknowledgement that whatever happens is from Hashem so you can say that at one level which is the understanding that Hashem has divided things the way he wants them but you can even say that on a much greater level which is that Hashem also chooses and picks people that he wants to be the leadership and therefore Aaron shouldn't feel slighted because Moshe was chosen to be the leader, and not only does he not feel slighted, he's happy for his brother. He's able to overcome that and recognize that this is what Hashem wants, and this is the direction that Hashem wants to take. And in doing so, he's he's happy. And the reward for that is that he's given the Chosh Mishpat, which is the direct line to Hashem. The Chosh Mishpat is the way that the Goyen Gadol communicates with Hashem. So the one who understands Hashem's ways, recognizes Hashem's ways, and is happy with Hashem's ways, he's given the direct line to Hashem. And that would be the connection between the fact that Aaron is happy for his brother Moshe, and the fact that he was granted the Chosh Mishpat, which is the connection of the line to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Now we're back to our sugi a little bit. The Bnei Baschar sent to Levi, Kila Mahu. What's the din of a canopy? Kshuta Bikarma Mahu. Hops in the vineyard. What's the din? Mate beyomtov mau. Someone who passes away on yomtov. What's the din? Ad azel nach nafshei de Levi. Before he could send it back, Levi passes away. Levi is a Talmud of Rabbi. He is again one of those people that sits in that generation between the Tanaim and Moraim. Talmud of Rabbi, but he interacts with Rabbi and Shmuel as well. So Amar Shmuel, Shmuel is a first generation Amora. Right? Shmuel's father, Avuad the Shmuel, also sits in that in between generation. Shmuel himself is a first generation Amora. So Amar Shmuel says the Rabbi Nashia, Ichakamit Shalachlu. If you have the wisdom, if you have the ability, respond to them. Levi can't respond to them, but you should respond to them now. Shalachlu. So this is what he responded. Kila, Chazanu Okotzidei Kila. We looked into canopies. Below Matzinu Latzad Heter. We don't find any Heter on Shabbat to use canopies. Elish Lachluhu Kidrami Barchiyachetzkel. That's not true. We know. We saw on yesterday's daf that there is a way to use the canopy without a problem, and that's Rami Barchiyachetzkel, where it has Meshicha, where it has a string on it, where it's an Olarai that you're extending, where it's already in place, and you're just extending the Olarai. So it has the Fi Sheinan Bnei Torah. Because they were not people who were Makpid al Dinei Torah. And he was afraid to be matir for them, even in a particular case. Because if he gave them that particular head there, they would expand the head there, and they would have carte blanche with canopies. So he avoided that by just saying canopies are sore, not giving them the exception to the rule. Kishuta b'karma, the hops in the vineyard, irbuva. He says that's kilayim. Velishlach kirabi tarfon. Why didn't he send them like rabbi tarfon? Detanya, kishut. Rabbi Tarfon Omer, Ein Kilayim Bikarim. There is no Kilayim. V'chachamim Armim Kilayim Bikarim. There is Kilayim with them. V'kaimelan, and we give Psaq HaLacha, Kala Mekil Ba'aretz, Lachal Kamoto B'chutz La'aretz. When it comes to Kilayim, just like by Orla, we have a Machloket between parties. Then Kala Mekil Ba'aretz, whoever is the more lenient opinion, then that Halacha is like him when we go to Chutz La'aretz. 
Fi Shenan Bnei Torah. He answers the same thing again, that they're not Bnei Torah. Therefore, he didn't want to tell them the Kula. Because they would misconstrue the Kula. And then they would use that as a carte blanche to forget about Kilayim B'Karim. They would open up Pandora's box with regards to Kilayim B'Karim. So he avoided telling them that there is this exception with regards to Kishut. Kishut, that even though we have a Machloket, even in Eretz Yisrael with regards to this, in Eretz Yisrael it's a Dindo, right? We are Makpid to go to Chumrah, and we follow the sheet of the Chachamim, who also the robe. But we have this dispensation in Chutzlar to go after the Mekil. Same way by Avelut, we go after the Mekil. There's certain Allahot where we always follow the Mekil. So here too, we would have followed the position of Rabbi Tarfon and said there is no Kilayim Bekeren here. That would have been true, but he didn't want to tell them. Again, that exception to the rule because he's afraid of what they would do with it. Machriz Rav. Rav used to announce, man the Mizra Karma. Mizra, if you want to plant Shuta and Karma, go ahead. Again, Rav is in Bavel, in Chutz Laaretz, so he said you can do it. Ravamram Chasida, Minagid Ilaveh. He used to give Malkot for people who used to do this. Rav Misharshia, Yehayv Pruta, Latinok Nachri, used to pay off a young, non-Jewish child, Vizarele, to plant it in his field. So he says, Velitein Le Latinok Yisrael. Why not give it to a young Jewish child to do it? He says, Ate the Misrach. And he'll end up getting a bad chinuch from this. A young Jewish child goes up to be a, a Jewish adult. And a Jewish adult, if he teaches you when he's young to do certain things, then he will continue to do them when he gets older. So for instance, we have this, the Gabe Yom HaKippurim. Yom HaKippurim, the Shechianu of Yom HaKippurim, the Gemara asks, in Erevin, why don't we make it a la kos? Make it a la yayin. So Gemara says, you have a problem, nobody can drink the kos. There's a suggestion by Ravach or by Yaakov, Give it to a young Jewish child. The Gemara rejects that suggestion because ati the misrach. Because if you give a young Jewish child to drink the wine every year, then they're gonna over a long period of time think it's okay to drink the wine on the night of Yom Hakippurim. Despite the fact that if there is a bris on Yom Hakippurim, we do give the bari priya goffin to a child. Rabbeinu Tam differentiates between the cases and saying a brit is an oddball event happens once in a while. It doesn't happen every Yom Hakippurim. Versus Zman, Shachiyana, which you say every Yom Kippur, and if you give it to a child every Yom Kippur, Ati the Misrach. So the same thing over here, we have this concept of Ati the Misrach, which is that if we allow children to continue to do things, they will grow up thinking that it is Mutar. Why doesn't he give it to a fully grown Nachri? The problem is just that you do it via Dayim, and that's why you get someone else to do it. Get a Gadol Nachri to do it. Ati the Chufei B'Yisrael. There you can get him confused with a Jewish person. That's why he wants to be clear that we're using a child, and we're using a non-Jewish child to do, as Rashi says, as much as possible we try to change from the normal way, so people won't learn to be makil over here. Even though technically it's mutar, this kishut bekerem, nevertheless, what we don't want to do is give people an opening to think that kilayim bekerem is mutar. People will make the wrong assumption or draw the wrong conclusions if you let them do this. So if you only let them do it in an oddball way, in a backhanded way, they'll realize that it's unique, or the case is different. So that's why we do these shinuim, or that's even why Rav. Now Rav announced it was fine, but then we have Rav Amram giving malkos for people to do it, because he realized that it was a breach. Once you open up the floodgates, everything goes. So he wanted to stop that. You have to know your constituents, you have to know the tzibor, you have to know whether they can handle a heter like this without going and ruining the whole concept of kilayim b'kerem. Mate, with regards to mate and yom tov, shavu mate loit askube lo yudain v'lo armayin. Nobody should deal with it. Not a Jew and not a non-Jew. Lo b'yom tov rishon v'lo b'yom tov sheni. Not on the first day of yom tov. Not on the second day of yom tov. Any? Is that really true? 
They had this case in the Shul Ma'on. It was a Yom Tov that was adjacent to Shabbat. We don't know if Shabbat fell out beforehand or afterwards. The non-Jews should take care of it. So Rashi says... They didn't know of Chal Yom Tov Be'erev Shabbat. The Yom Tov was an Erev Shabbat. Umeit Bo Bayom. And he died on Yom Tov. Umipnei Shalom Yuchuli Taseik Bo Machar. Hitu Lekovro Ayide Amin. Rashi says, what's the problem? If we don't allow him to take care of it on Yom Tov, then you're going to bump into Shabbat. And if you don't do it on Shabbat, you're going to end up having the mate around for two days. Their day without refrigeration, having a mate around for two days, was a recipe for Masriach. It was going to start, the body was going to start to decompose. Milachreha, is here. He died on Shabbat, and then the Yom Tov was afterwards, and he was matter them to bury it on the Yom Tov because the body already started to decompose from Shabbat. So now we have a statement from Ravah, which is Amar Ravah, made by Yom Tov Rishon. That if you die on the first day of Yom Tov, you can get non-Jews to engage and take care of the mate. The Yom Tov Sheni it asku bo Yisrael, and Yom Tov Sheni shall go to Yot. You can even have Jews. Take care of the mate. Va'afilu b'yom tov sheni shel Rosh Hashanah. Even on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, Mashein came by beitza. That's even true. By a second day of Rosh Hashanah, by a beitza is not true. In general, we'll get that in a second beitza. But there's a difference between two days of goliot, yom tov sheni shel goliot versus yom tov sheni shel Rosh Hashanah. Yom tov sheni shel Rosh Hashanah. We look as a yoma arichta. There really is a true problem in terms of the, the day, and it might be that there really is a is the day midoraita right, in the Torah. Yom Tov Shem Shem is really out of a Minha Gavotayim Biyadayim. It's just to keep in place what the original din was in Chutzlaretz, even though they might know which day really is Yom Tov. So the second day is really an imposition de Rabbanan. So by a bait cell, there is a difference. We have a difference. An egg that's born on the first day of Yom Tov can be eaten on the second day of Yom Tov. That's true. That's true on a Yom Tov Sheni Shel It's not true on Rosh Hashanah. Since it's Yom Arichta, we won't allow you to eat it on the second day of Yom Tov. But, regards to the mate, here the Gemara makes no differentiation. The term is made much stronger in the Gemara in other places like Beitzah. It says that mate, beyom tov sheni asu kechol. That when it came to a mate on the yom tov sheni, they made it like a weekday. And that yom tov sheni holds no weight against the mate on yom tov sheni. Now, Rashi says a comment here that's very interesting. And really, it changes the dynamic of what's being spoken about here. That's why I read you the Rashi before. Rashi says, Mate b'yom tov rishom. Mate shinishtahe. That was around. Kugon shemate b'shabbat ulamachara yom tov. Rashi sees the entire head to here having to do with Shabbat. Rashi says that the problem here is all of Masriach, decomposition. And therefore, the scenarios in which we allow you to abrogate Yom Tov is only when there was a Shabbat adjacent, and we're going to run into problems of decomposition of the body. And because of that, we have a special heter on Yom Tov to allow you to do this in order to avoid it, because mate. But that's a unique circumstance or scenario in which Rashi says it's mutar to do this. According to Rashi, it was a standalone Yom Tov, there would be no heter to do this. It's only when it's adjacent to Shabbat. Shabbat and Yom HaKippurim, you cannot do anything for a mate. So therefore, if you're adjacent to Shabbat, that's when we run into this problem. And that's when we have this head toward Yom Tov. That's Rashi. On the other hand, the Rosh, the Iran, others say, no, that this head there is a part blanche head there to do with Yom Tov. And Yom Tov for the mate, you're allowed to take care of them. Yom Tov Rishon, Al Yudei Amamin. Yom Tov Sheni, Al Yudei Yisrael. Over here, the Rabbeinu Tam has a case 
And he passes based on the conclusion of our Gemara. The last line of our Gemara is the Fishenam Bnei Torah. That the reason that Rav Benashio did not give them this heter is because the Bnei Bashkar were not Bnei Torah. And so therefore he didn't tell them about this heter. He said, don't do anything. And he didn't tell them about this heter. The Gemara in Beitzah also says that there is a different problem, which is the Chavre. The Chavre were the rulers who imposed the taxation on the individuals, and they used to bring them in for governmental work, or for work for the king. So people used to say, it's Yom Tov, we're not allowed to work. Then what would happen? All of a sudden there'd be a mate, and the Jews would go out, and they'd start digging a grave, They'd start preparing stuff and take care of the mate. So what's going to happen? They're going to see them working on Yom Tov. And they're going to say, wait, if you're working on Yom Tov, come here. And they're going to conscript them into the work of the king. And they're going to end up having to do malach on Yom Tov. So because of that, Ravina says that we no longer bury on Yom Tov because of this problem. That there's this issue that if we do bury on Yom Tov, it's going to cause us problems with the authorities. And it will generate issues in terms of having to work on Yom Tov because people think that there is no Yom Tov anymore. But then they have a case with Rabbeinu Tam. And that case, Rabbi Dino Tam objects to what they did. They wanted to bury on Yom Tov. They ended up riding horses to go b'malava the mate to take care of the mate in Yom Tov. And Rabbi Tam objects for two reasons. One reason, we're not B'nai Torah. And number two is that we have this problem of the Chavre too. We still have this issue of the government coming in and then seeing us work and saying, oh, wait a minute, what are you doing? As Rabbi Tam says, the Rabbi Tam sheet is rejected. Number one is that we're not Enan B'nai Torah. The people that we're talking about here are B'nai Torah. The Bey Baschar were ignorant, ignoramuses. They really were not B'nai Torah. We're not talking about Tamei Chamim. We're talking about people who did not have any consideration of Allah. And therefore, that's not true today. And this issue of the Chavre does not exist anymore. We really don't have this issue, especially by the time of the Reino Tam. That's not an issue. Therefore, the Alocha, this is Paskin and Shochan Aruch, brought down the Alocha, Yom Tov Rishon, Yitaskubo Amamim, Yom Tov Sheni, Yitaskubo Yisrael. The Ramah on the Shochan Aruch's Psach here says that even on the second day of Yom Tov, if you have the ability to have non-Jews do it, you should engage non-Jews to do it. Shochanach says that the Jews should do it on the second day of Yom Tov because it's Masek Kechol. It's like a weekday. And therefore there's no reason to bring in an Achri. It's almost Hutra, the Gabay, the mate. The Ramah, on the other hand, says that you should still try to bring in Amamim on the second day to at least have them do it because it's better to do Shvut, which is Amir La'akum, Shvut that has no Maisa in it, than to do an active Maisa. Than to do something that you're actually involved in taking care of the mate. So that's what the Ramah, Paskin's Neged, the Shulchan Aruch. In addition, you're not allowed to postpone a mate from being Nikvar from the first day of Yom Tov to the second day of Yom Tov because you want Jews to be in Tasek with it. You, be, you have to use non-Jews on the first day of Yom Tov to bury the mate and not wait to the second day or postpone it to the second day of Yom Tov so therefore that Jews can be engaged. So that's also the Shokarach says you may not do. The question now is, what is allowed for the mate here? What does it mean, Hutra, here? So the Ramban especially differentiates between things that are needed for the mate himself versus things that are done like Voda mate. So certain things that are a direct need or necessity of the mate, that you can violate Yom Tov. That means that you can dig a grave for the mate. You can ride horses and take the mate out of the Tchum. You can do any of these things for the mate itself. You can also make Tachrichim, even though they have something because it's for the mate. You can do anything that's directly engaged for the mate itself. On the other hand, those parties that are going to be Milaved the mate, which is also Kavod the mate, they do not have that same dispensation. Those that are going to Kavod the mate may not ride horses. They can't even violate Dine de Rabbanan. That involves Ziluta, denigration or cheapening of the Yom Tov day. They, they can do anything for Kavod the mate, but they don't have this wholesale dispensation to do whatever they want. So therefore, if there's a case here, 
where you want to uh, call up relatives and tell them about the mate, that you can't do. Because that's for the mate having to do with outside parties. And you can't do that. You can't violate the Yom Tov for Kavod mate in that way. You can't print those signs to say, you know, the Levaya's on Yom Tov, da 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 You can't do that on Yom Tov. You can't get in a car to go to the Levaya for Kavod mate on Yom Tov Sheni. All of these things are not allowed because they're not directly involved with the mate themselves. So anything that's directed at the mate themselves, and those people that are osik with the mate themselves, you can do on Yom Tov Sheni. And even on Yom Tov Rishon, as long as it's only an Iser De Rabbanan. You can heat up water for the tarot. Whatever that's needed for the mate, and directly for the kavoda mate, for those people that are a stake in the mate, you can violate the Yom Tov, and that's not a problem. It's only those external people, those that are malavid the mate, that are not granted that dispensation. They're allowed to go, but they're limited. They can't violate the surim. Dine de Rabbonan, that involves ziluta, denigration or cheapening of the Yom Tov day. In order to do that, and that's it, the halacha. Today, a lot of this, well, number one, Rashi's issue goes away because of refrigeration which is the decomposition of the body is not an issue anymore because bodies don't decompose. The other thing is that many times because of the way the arrangements work and so on and so forth, that most of the people that pass away on Yom Tov, either they don't know about it or even if they know about it, they can't engage the people they need in order to do the burial or the vaya on Yom Tov Sheni. And we don't generally have these situations come up or that the cemetery is so far away that it's going to involve Kalush Yom Tov and the Hebrew Kaddisha doesn't want to come. There are all these reasons that are going to prevent this from happening, but technically this could happen on Yom Tov. And the same is true with regards to Avelut, that if you bury a mate on the eighth day of Pesach, for instance in Chutzlaretz, according to the Bahag and according to the Rambam, who think that Avelut is the right on the first day, they say, and is Yom Tov which is the Rabbanan. And therefore it counts as your first day of Avelut, because the Doraita comes and overrides the Din de Rabbanan. And according to the, the others, even who don't think that is the right, like the Tosafot, you might be able to have Avelut anyway, because Tosafot, unlike the Rambam, believes that there is Avelut Bitsina on Yom Tov. You have to have some form of Avelut in order to start Avelut. You have to do something that signals you're doing Avelut. If, like the Rambam says, you're not allowed to do any signs of Avelut in Yom Tov, they're a stira. They're inconsistent, Yom Tov and Avelut. You can't have any Avelut in Yom Tov. According to the Tosafot, that we still keep Dvarim Shibitzina on Yom Tov, just like on Shabbat, you keep Dvarim Shibitzina, you can't have Avelut on Yom Tov, even if it's only Derabanan, because you do the Dvarim Shibitzina, and that will count to one of your days of Avelut. So if the mate is buried on Yom Tov or on Yom Tov Sheni, those days will count towards the Avelut, the seven days of Shiva or the Shloshim Yom. So they're doing exactly this, limiting the Yom Tov here. And the Gemara says that they're both equal here. Amar Rabbi Avin Bar Ravuna, Amar Rav Chama Baguria, Mitatefa Dam Bikila, Ubikiska Seha, Beyotseh the Rishut Arabim B'Shabbat. The person can wrap himself up in a sheet, but the sheet being the canopy here, and even though it has the straps on it, the straps are the straps that you tie into the posts. The canopy has to be tied to the posts. It has straps over here. The kiskasel is really the scales. It's also used by chainmail, by armor. But it's a description of excess on the sheet. So you have these excess items on the sheet. So they're not necessary. When you wrap yourself up in the sheet, you make it into a tunic, you don't need these straps. They're excess. You got to shoot a Shabbat, and it's not considered to be carrying. You don't worry about it. How's this different than Ravuna? You go out to the Rashut Rabim with a talit that doesn't have proper tzitzit in it. Because why? You're carrying the tzitzit that are there. 
So say, for instance, you have a tallit that has three tzitzit on it and does not have the fourth tzitzit on it. So now you have three corners that tzitzit, the fourth one doesn't. You're not mikayim the mitzvah of tzitzit. So then when you walk out into Rishut Rabim with such a begot, the three tzitzit that are hanging from it are considered to be a masoy, as if you're carrying something unnecessary on Shabbat. Why is that different than this case where you have the straps on the canopy that you're wearing the canopy and the straps are also excess? So the Gemara says there's a difference. Tzitzit and Gavit the Begit are considered chashuv. Rashi says they're chashuv because of tchelet. Tchelet is considered to be a chashuv color, a chashuv material, and therefore it's not padel the Gavit the Tzitzit. That would today, if we don't have tchelet necessarily, that would obviate that case. But you could also argue that Tzitzit are chashuv because you're trying to be mekayim a mitzvah, and they have a siman in, in themselves. The Tzitzit have a purpose beyond the simple baguette. On the other hand, the Rabbeinu Hananel says that the reason that the tzitzit are chashuv here, the three tzitzit, is not because of the tzitzit, because of his intent to put on the fourth tzitzit. He has three on here and he intends to put the fourth one on. So he keeps them chashuv because eventually they're going to be the tzitzit he needs on the baguette. And therefore he gives them chashivut or consideration now. Those are the straps. The straps are just there to serve the baguette. So you could differentiate even without tzitzit between the two. And therefore, he says, you cannot wear these baguette that has an improper tzitzit on it. On Shabbat, you'll be chayav chatat. Whereas, the straps on the canopy you can wear are not problematic. So if you have fringes on a baguette, that would be fine. Fringes on any item would be fine. Only fringes that are tzitzit, that become problematic on Shabbat. Now, this is problematic for another reason. It never pays to wear a four-cornered beggar with three tzitzit, because you're not becoming any mitzvah. You're in violation of an assay. It's better not to wear the baguette at all than to wear the baguette with three tzitziot on it, because then you're in violation of the assay. So here, this is also what the briskers are very makrid on uh, Shabbat, right? To wear only a talit katan that meets the minimum shiur, because otherwise they think that maybe wearing tzitzit without the minimum shiur would be considered carrying on Shabbat. Is the kilo functional? Was the kilo the strings functional? Close it No, but only on the bedpost. It wasn't used for them when they used it as a tunic. They didn't use the straps to close it up. Amar Baruna, Marim Adam ala mishamerit biyomtov Person can trick or fake that he needs the mishamerit not for filtering, but rather to hold up his pomegranates. So you can hang up the filter, put the filter there to hold the pomegranates. And then afterwards, afterwards you can use it as a filter because we saw before that the filter is allowed to be used on Yom Tov. It just, you're not allowed to hang it on Yom Tov. So here's a way to get it hung without it being problematic. And then after it's hung, then you can utilize it. But he has to actually use it for the pomegranates. When he wants to do this, or use this methodology, he actually has to put pomegranates in there in the first place, and then he can utilize it for the filtering. How is this different from the bright? You're allowed to put beer into the filter for what you need on Yom Tov. That which you don't need for the moed is a sur. Doesn't matter if it's date beer or whether it's barley beer. Even though they have existing beer, then you can make new beer on Yom Tov and then drink from it as if you needed it. So over there, we don't tell, say that you have to actually do it correctly. There we say you can fake it and drink it. There, it seems, you wouldn't have to put up the rimonim. You're allowed to be marim, even though you didn't get rid of the old beer, you can just drink the new beer. So why over here, if you say I'm putting it up for rimonim, why do you have to actually put the rimonim in it? By the beer, nobody knows how much beer you have left in your cellars, how much beer you have left in your house. And therefore, nobody will know whether you're really making new beer because you need it or you have old beer. And therefore, there's no 
evidence that you're doing this because you're trying to fake it or because you want to do work on Chol HaMoed. In our case, by the Tzliyav, you put up the Mishamerit, it's obvious that you're putting it up in order to filter unless you utilize it for something else. Now, before we saw that hanging up the filter is a problem of Olarai. If it's a problem of Olarai, it doesn't matter if you put pomegranates in it anyway, it should be a problem of establishing an Olarai. So Rashi notes over here that really the problem of Mishamerit it's not because of all right, but what Abayi said on yesterday's daft, it's a problem of uvda dechol. And since it's a problem of uvda dechol, if you utilize it for something that you need on Yom Tov, it no longer will be uvda dechol if you put Rimonim in it. Somewhat difficult, because the brighter that we brought afterwards with Abayi, who says that it's Melakate, he gathered together, he aggregated all the different halachot. There he seems to have aggregated halachot that all deal with Ola Rai, and Mishamerit is noted over there. And I mentioned that yesterday, that that seems to be a, almost a retraction of what he said before of Dukhol, but here you see Rashi says that the Gemara is sticking with that reasoning that it's Ubdu Dukhol and not Ola Rai, and that's why it's allowed to be done on Yom Tov as long as you put the Rimonim in it. Amrulay Rabbanon Ravashi, Chazimar Haid Subrami Rabbanon, Ravuna Barchivan Shemei, did you see this young whippersnapper at Amr Chacham? Ravuna Bar is his name. Ramila Ravuna Bar Chilabon. Shmei the Shakel Bara the Tuma. He took a clove of garlic, Manach Bebarza the Dano, and he stuck it and he plugged it into the tap of the barrel, the tap that's put on the wine barrels. He stuffed the tap with this clove of garlic. Vamar, he says, let's snuye kamikavina. says, I'm really putting it there because I need to store it. So even though that was not his purpose over here, he was using this as a plug, and therefore he was plugging the barrel, and it's like Metakin Kli on Shabbat or on Yom Tov. Nevertheless, he said, you know what, I'm not plugging the barrel, I'm simply storing the garlic over there. Then, Vazil Vinayim Bimavra, he went ahead and went to sleep on a ferry, on a non-Jewish ferry. He told the people that he was tired and he wanted to go lay down. So he laid down and it happened to be there was a ferry docked on that side of the river. He says, I'm going to sleep. And sure enough, while he's asleep, the ferry takes off and goes to the other side of the river. And over there he had an orchard that he wanted to guard. And he got there. Vamar, he told the people, I know the main I'm coming Kavina. Just going to sleep. Just happens to be when he slept, the ferry moved. So Amr Lahu, Harama Kamart? You're telling me about what this young Tamar Chacham did? That's Harama. He was doing things through what we call trickery. He was doing it in a way that he was saying that he was doing it for one reason. Even though he was doing it for another reason. Arama bidrabanon he. He's doing arama in things that are dine dirabanon. So what we're afraid of with regards to arama or why we don't allow people to do arama on Yom Tov is because we're afraid people are going to see it. And then they're going to do it not in a backhanded way. They're not going to do it in an unusual way. They're actually going to do this Isur. And the Isur is an Isur Durabanan. So over here, when we're dealing with something that when you do the aroma, that worst, if you did it Yashir, if you did it straight, you'd only end up in Isur Durabanan. Over there, we allow you to do a Derech Arama if he's a Yad Tamud Chacham, because we know he'll continue. He knows the Halachot, and he'll continue to do it Derech Arama. He won't come to do it Lechat Chila. On the other hand, if it involves a Dindo Raita, then we will not allow you to do it, because then if a mistake is made, then you'll end up in violation of the Doraita. So Aroma B'Doraita is out the Gamre. Aroma B'Dinei Durabanan. If it's someone we're certain will not make a mistake and think that you can do this without the Harama, then we're fine with it. On the other hand, if it's people who are going to learn the wrong thing from this, or they're going to start doing it without the aroma, then we say, no, you may not do the aroma. And where we say, don't do the aroma. So here was a young Tamil Chacham, 
young Talmud Chacham was not going to make that mistake, so we allowed it. You know, it's a dangerous precedent because if you allow him to do it, people will mimic him, and then you'll get this, again, the opening of Pandora's box, and you can have difficulty. So in general, we discourage this type of aroma because we don't want people to learn to do it the chatila and not do it through this backhanded manner. Okay, next Mishnah. We can put water on top of the sediment that's there in order that they should become clear or should wash out what's in them. You're allowed to filter the wine in the cloths or with the baskets made out of palm branches. You're allowed to put an egg inside of a mustard sieve or filter. You're allowed to make this mixture of wine and honey on Shabbat. On Shabbat you can only make a limited amount in a cup. Yom Tov Bilagin. On Yom Tov you can make it in something that's bigger than a cup, maybe a goblet. On Cholomoeit you can make it in a barrel. So it's a cup, pitcher, barrel. It doesn't have to do with the day, it has to do with the number of guests that you are expecting. The person can take clear wine and clear water and put it through the filter on Shabbat. And he doesn't have to worry about it. But if it's muddied, if it has sediment or it has impurities in it, then you can't do it. The reason that you can put in clear water and clear wine through the filters is because you're doing nothing. The wine is already filtered, the water is already filtered, and you would drink it even if you didn't filter it subsequent to this. So putting through the filter is not changing the status of this yayin or mayim, and you would drink it anyway. Again, we've discussed this in the past. This is the etter for the modern day filter, which is number one, if the water was drinkable before, and the filter just makes it more drinkable or better for you, but you would drink the water either way. Then number one, that's equivalent to putting clear water through a filter. And number two is we talked about the fact that if the impurities are not visible, that may not have a din of borer on Shabbat and on Yom Tov, and that might be the other head there for putting water through a filter on Shabbat. So here you have this, putting the water or the wine through the filter, already clear water or clear wine, that's fine. But if they have sediment or they have impurities in them that are visible, you can't put them through because then you're changing the status of the wine or the water. A person can mix up a barrel of wine. Meaning by mixing it up, you're mixing the wine and the sediment together. Put into the filter on Shabbat. And you don't have to worry about it. That's only when we're talking about at the presses. When the wine is pressed, immediately after it's pressed, the sediment is yet to settle in the barrels. Since it has yet to sell in the barrels, if anyone wants to drink the wine, the grape juice that's made right at the time of the wine harvest, the wine pressing... Then, when you drank that wine, you would have sediment in the wine. Anybody who drank it then would expect to find sediment in the wine, and would drink it with the sediment in the wine. Therefore, if you filter it at this point, it makes it no more drinkable than it was before. Anybody who drank it at the time would expect to find sediment, and would drink it that way. And if you remove the sediment, they'll also drink it. So you've not improved or changed the wine in any way. Later on, when people expect the sediment to settle and the wine to be separate... Then, if you were to filter out the sediment, it would be problematic. People in that case would not drink the wine with the sediment mixed in it. They'd only drink clear wine. And if you filtered at that point, then you would be doing something to make it drinkable, and that would be problematic. You're allowed to filter the wine with sudarim, with cloths. 
As long as you don't make a depression in the sudar. If you don't make a place where it gathers in the middle. So Rashi says, number one problem is It's like the way you do it on a weekday and we want you to differentiate on Shabbat. The other problem is if you allow it to fold in in the middle or you allow it to come to a depression in the middle, then the sediment or what's being filtered out will gather there. And then a person might come to pick up the cloth or chafe and squeeze it out. And do schita. So therefore we don't want you to have this bulge that develops in the middle. Ubikififa mitzrit. And with the basket, palm branch basket. Amar avchia barashi amarav. Ubilvaj lo yagbiya mikarkutiyahu shokli tefach. As long as you don't lift the basket more than a tefach off the base of the kli in which you are filtering into. Because that would be a problem of olarai, but making of an olarai. So as long as you're in tefach of the floor of the kli, then you're not creating an ol because there's no tefach. You need a minimum of a tefach to make an ol. Amarav. Hai punka apauge de kuba sharit. Akulei kuba asur. To place a cover or a handkerchief across the top of the barrel or the pitcher, halfway is allowed, across the entire top is not allowed. Because if you put it across the entire top, you create an olarai, and that's problematic. If you put it on halfway, then you haven't created an olarai. Amra Papa, Lohan Nehadek Inish, Sinita Bipume de Kuzne de Chavita, Mishum de Mechseke Mishameret. Basically, the ladle or the small pitcher with which you use to dispense the wine from the barrels. The barrel is a large container, and you want to take out smaller amounts. They used to have a ladle or some sort of pitcher there that used to take it out. And a person should not affix tightly on this ladle or this pitcher. You shouldn't paste kashim v'kismin. You shouldn't put on there, whether it's straw or small twigs, because then it looks like you're making it into a filter. Whether you, when you insert the pitcher or the ladle into the barrel, take the wine out, it has to go through that quote-unquote filter, the straw and the twigs, or when you're pouring it out of the pitcher or the ladle into the cups, again, you also have to pour it through this quote-unquote filter, and therefore you're filtering on Shabbat. So a person shouldn't stuff in straw or twigs into these areas because you're creating a mishamerit, a filter. Beira Papa, Shafu, Shikra, Mimana, Lemana. They used to pour beer from barrel to barrel. Now generally when you pour beer from barrel to barrel, you pour the clear area of the beer, all the sediment and the bad stuff settles to the bottom. And so what you do is you pour it out, and that way you basically are doing borer. You take out the liquid by pouring off the top, and you leave whatever's at the bottom in the barrel. That's a problem because it's a problem of borer. So how was it that in the house of Rapopa they used to do this? Rashi says, Shafu, Rashi spells it without an olive, it's pouring it slowly. When you pour it slowly, the sediment remains inside, and only the liquid comes out, and it's a form of borer. So I'm really rebacha midifti the ravina ika nitzotzot. How could a rabbis house do that? You have the nitzotzot. The nitzotzot are the little drops at the bottom of the barrel, and the little drops at the bottom of the barrel, you're going to pour them out slowly, and then you're going to drain them out of the sediment, and you're basically doing borer. You're separating the liquid from the solids at the bottom of the barrel. It says, In Rapapa's house, Rapapa was a beer maker, a beer seller. And therefore, in his house, those little drops in the bottom weren't so important to him. Since they weren't important to him, he left them in the barrel. If you leave behind beer in the barrel, then you don't have borer. 
Because you didn't separate out ochel mipsolar psolar miochel because you took out beer, but you also left beer behind. So if you took out the beer and you left beer behind, the beer that's left behind with the sediment is still mixed. And therefore you didn't do borer. So by leaving the nitzotzot behind, by leaving behind some liquid at the base, this is true as well on Shabbat, when you have mixtures where you're pouring out a liquid and you have something mixed in there. If you pour off the liquid at the top, as long as you leave liquid behind that has the solids or whatever you don't want in it, then that's fine, because you didn't create a separation of the psalm and the ocho. They're still mixed together in the cup. But you pour it off from the top of the cup, that's fine. That was, that was separating liquid from liquid. That wasn't separating liquid from the solid. So, so too over here. If you don't care about the nitzotzot, then you're going to leave beer behind with the solid and with the sediment, and that'll be fine. And the clear liquid that you poured off from the top, that was separating liquid from a liquid, which is not a problem with boer. On the other hand, if you're makpid on those nitzotzot, those drops at the bottom of the barrel, then you would have a problem, because not only would you pour off the liquid on the top, you pour off the liquid that was mixed with the sediment and with the hard objects, and then you would really be doing boer, because you would separate out the liquid from the solid that's left behind, and that would be a problem with a so in Rapapa's house, because they didn't care about the Nitzotzot, that's why it was not considered to be Borer on Shabbat. Okay, we'll stop over here.